The text for this morning's service is from Jonah, chapter 1, starting with verse 17 through to chapter 2, verse 10. We read there God's word as follows. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have avowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and had vomited Jonah onto dry land. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 69, stanza 12. Love congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls. Jonah is inside the belly of the fish. The Lord God provided a great fish to swallow him. In other words, we are not dealing here with a chance occurrence, but with something that the Lord God himself brought about. The prophet Jonah is a very stubborn man. God knows that. He knows that he is dealing here with someone who does not just easily submit himself to the will of God, but with someone who has to be brought down to his knees through divine intervention. Jonah is not someone who just sits back and listens to what God has to say to him and then carry out the will of God. No, Jonah has to be brought to a crisis in his life. And therefore God has to intervene in a very special way. And that's how God deals with all of his covenant children. He does not just let you go your own merry way when you are disobedient. No, he will try to shake us up to bring us to our senses. Now, in the case of Jonah, the way he tries to shake him up is by having him thrown overboard of the ship which was was bringing him to Tarshish where he was headed in his foolish attempt to escape the will of the Lord. And that's what I will preach to you about this morning. 
The theme for this morning's sermon is as follows. It's a little bit different than you have it in your liturgy sheets. Jonah in his distress encounters God in the belly of the fish. And then we will see four things. First of all, we will see Jonah in the side of the fish. Secondly, Jonah's distress. Thirdly, God's answer. And then finally, God's salvation. Jonah in his distress encounters God in the belly of the fish. In chapter 2 we read the prayer which Jonah composed while he was inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Some of you may wonder how it is possible that a man could survive inside of a fish for such a long time. You may even say to yourself, is it not any wonder that most people do not believe in the Bible when they read a story as preposterous as this? For here we are told that the prophet of Israel is swallowed up by some great fish. And he remains in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And while he is in the belly of that fish, he not only survives, but he even composes a poem while he is in there. And then after the three days are up, he is vomited out, not just anywhere, but on dry land. How can anybody in this modern day and age believe that such a thing actually took place. Man today is much more sophisticated than this. This is the age of science and technology. And today we no longer fall for such fishy stories. And to top it all off, Jonah even writes a poem inside of the fish. How is that possible? Did he have a pen and paper inside the fish? A little table to write at? As some artists portrayed the scene on canvas, Joe was now inside the belly of the fish, pen in hand, seated at a little table, composing a prayer. Isn't this a bit too far-fetched? Modern theologians are of that opinion. And so they say that there is only a moral lesson to be learned here. The details of the story do not really matter so much, but only the content of the message. For that reason, there are those who want to defend the authenticity of the story. And those well-meaning souls go to great lengths to prove that it is indeed scientifically possible that man could be swallowed up by a whale and survive for three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish. And they will point out that there have been many stories of people who have been swallowed up by by a large whale and who survived. There's one apparently credible story about a seaman at the turn of the century who was swallowed up by a large sperm whale in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands and who after three days was recovered unconscious, but alive, though with some damage to his skin. And there have been other stories of that nature. And it's admirable that they want to try to prove the truth of the story of Jonah The question is, does it ultimately really matter whether or not it could be a fish large enough to swallow a man whole and to have him survive for three days and three nights? In the final analysis, brothers and sisters, it doesn't really matter. For you see, you cannot prove miracles. For what do the scriptures say? It says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, that's the problem with a lot of people. They want proof before they believe. 
And that's also what the Pharisees were like. <clears throat> they said to the Lord Jesus, Rabbi, there is a lot of discussion going on amongst the people about the miracles that you are performing. And the people are divided. Some people are saying that the miracles you do are because you are the son of David and that you are the long-awaited Messiah. And others are saying that you are doing it through the power of the devil. Now we're reasonable men. We have an open mind about these things. We are willing to be persuaded in your favor. So why don't you perform a miracle for us so that we can also believe? What does the Lord Jesus say to them? He says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. He calls them wicked and adulterous. These are strong terms, wicked. It's a term that applies to all of us. For wickedness has to do with sin. And sin is found both within and outside of the church. We're all sinners. There's no exception. But the word adulterous can only apply to God's covenant people. For an adulterer is someone who is unfaithful. It is someone who breaks his marriage vows. When the Lord, what the Lord uses, therefore, is covenantal language. For when a husband or a wife is unfaithful to his or her marriage partner, then he or she is unfaithful to the vows, to the covenant that they have made with each other. Well, that is the same way it is with the church which is the bride, and Christ as the bridegroom. By questioning him, by questioning the Lord Jesus in the way that has revealed himself in his word, then they were unfaithful to him. And so would we be. For who is the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the creator of the universe. And he is able to do all things. He is certainly able to create a fish to swallow a man whole and to have a man survive in its belly for three days and three nights. Actually, for him as the Almighty Creator, that's only a small thing. And so the Lord Jesus himself also affirms, affirms the truth of Jonah in the belly of the fish. Just because this is something out of the ordinary, it does not mean that you have to suspend your faith and try to make it fit within your own subjective experiences. That's what the Pharisees do. And therefore they ask for a sign. But you see, the Pharisees are unbelievers. And so what does the Lord Jesus say? He says, I will not give you a sign. I will not perform a specific miracle for you as you ask. For you ask these things not out of faith, but out of unbelief. There is only one sign which I will give you, and that is the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights inside the belly of the fish. For you see, miracles are not designed to make you believe. And they are given only to confirm you in your belief, in your faith. That is the way it was for Jonah, and that is also the way it is for you and for me. You can see the miracles of creation all around you. You and I, we see it because we are believers, and thus we are confirmed in our faith. 
For you see, as is clear from the following chapters, after Jonah has spent his three days and his three nights inside the fish, Jonah does go to Nineveh here. But Jonah does not come out and say, well, people, you had better listen to me, for a miracle has happened to me. No, he cannot do that. For how would he prove that? How do you prove miracles? The unbelievers would poke fun at him and ridicule him. Only once they believe, once they believe his preaching, can that miracle have any significance for them. How can he be then an effective witness to the Ninevites? Well, the Lord is preparing him for that task inside the belly of the fish. And that is clear from the prayer which he composes inside of there. It is not so, of course, that Jonah actually wrote his prayer down while he was inside of that fish. No doubt Jonah wrote these words down afterwards. For you see, Jonah himself is the author of this book. The Lord told him to write down everything after this whole episode after this whole episode had taken place, after he had returned from Nineveh and experienced there the repentance of the wicked people of Nineveh. And in our text, which contains the prayer of Jonah in the belly of the fish, we find the words which were in Jonah's heart at that time. He recalls these thoughts as he sits down to write his prophecy. And from that prayer, it is quite obvious that Jonah is in great distress. We come to the second point. Indeed, that is what he tells us. He says in verse 2, In my distress I call to the Lord. Why is Jonah distressed? Well, you may say the answer is obvious. He has just been thrown overboard, and he has just been swallowed up by a large fish, and now there he is inside of the belly of that fish, not knowing whether or not he will live or die. Who would not be in distress under such circumstances? But do you think that that is the main reason for his distress? Jonah was already prepared to die. For he told the sailors themselves to throw him overboard. Of course, this was all very distressing for him. But that was not the main reason for his distress. And that's clear also from this prayer. For you see, Jonah is a covenant child. And he was brought up to know the ways of the Lord. And that was the main reason for his distress. For at this point he realizes that his relationship with the Lord is on shaky ground. And that is not because of God, for God is always true to his covenant. It is because of Jonah's own disobedience. For Jonah has gotten out of the habit of regularly praying to the Lord. And you may say, well, how do I know this? Well, in the first place we know this because of the situation that Jonah finds himself in. He had ignored the Lord and his directives. He went his own way. And someone who has a good prayer life would not do that. And secondly, we also know that from the prayer itself, where you see when you take a close look at this prayer, you can come to no other conclusion than that this is not really a very good prayer. I'll say some more about that later. 
But this prayer does show something else. And that is that Jonah is thoroughly familiar with God's word, especially with the book of Psalms. For he quotes extensively from it. Some lines were taken directly from several Psalms. He quotes them verbatim. It shows that Jonah is very well versed in the Bible. And therefore it may be all the more surprising to us that Jonah finds himself in the predicament in which he is in. For you all remember how he got there from the previous sermons. The Lord told him to go to Nineveh to preach the word of God and to call that city to repentance. He said, if they would, he has to say, if they do not repent, then they would be utterly destroyed. But Jonah refuses to go. He was disobedient. God speaks to him, but he doesn't want to listen to God. For Jonah thinks that God should not bother with such a heathen nation. Leave them to their devices, he says to himself. They're not worth it. They're such a wicked people. Let them be destroyed. They do not deserve the mercy of God. But God's will always gets carried out one way or the other. The Lord God gets his way. And it is for that reason that we find Jonah inside the belly of the great fish. And he prays. But just because he prays doesn't mean that his heart is in the right place. That's what some people think. They think that the more you know about the scriptures and the confessions and the more educated you are and the better you can express yourself, that the better believer you are. And that is why they look to ministers and elders and they believe that they have all the answers and that their faith, because of their knowledge, must be cut above the rest of the people. Well, brothers and sisters, that is not necessarily so. That was not true in those days, and that's not true today either. There are simple believers in the church who perhaps can barely read or write, and who have difficulty putting their words or their thoughts into words, but who live a lot closer to the Lord God than someone who may have a whole bunch of degrees behind his names, and whose speech is as smooth as butter. Intellectual knowledge does not make for a better Christian. In some cases, it may even be a hindrance rather than a help. We can certainly see that with respect to Jonah. Jonah knows a lot more than the average Israelite. He is better versed in scripture than the average Joe. And yet, look at how far he is removed from the will of God. And that is why Jonah is in such trouble as he is in the first place. If only he listened to what God had to say to him, then everything would have been fine. Jonah is the author of his own misfortune. For you see, Jonah had become complacent. In other words, he took God's love for granted, not only for himself, but also for his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Jonah thought to himself, well, I belong to Israel. I belong to the true church. God cares about me and my fellow believers more than anyone else. We have the promises of God. We are a special nation. We are the true church. And therefore God also hardly bothers with the other heathen nations. Do you see, brothers and sisters, what what Jonah's big mistake was? Jonah only concentrated on the first part of the covenant, and he ignored the second part. For the covenant does not just exist of a promise, 
the first part, but also a demand within the covenant, the second part. His prayer shows that he is truly miserable. But why? Well, not because he realizes his sinfulness, but only because of the circumstances he finds himself in. He also realizes that he is as good as dead, not just physical death, but also spiritual death. For what does he say? He says, I have been banished from your sight. Now that's quite an insight that Jonah came to at this point. For remember, that is not something that he confessed before. He thought that nothing could undo his special relationship with the Lord. He thought himself to be quite secure in the love of God. But what a fool he is. He doesn't know what it is to serve the Lord. Have you ever noticed that some people go from one crisis to the next? And then they blame others. They think that everybody is out to get them. And they're full of despair. And they're full of bitterness. But do you know what their problem is? Well, they want to go their own way. And do whatever feels good for the moment. And because they are like that. They do not have a good prayer life either. And then when something happens to them. They cry for themselves. Oh poor me. And indeed, that is what God wants us to come to, to that point. He wants us to cry out, but we have to cry out for the right reasons. He wants us to be in despair, but only because we are such miserable sinners. And it is only then that you can realize the wonderful salvation that you may have. And Jonah had not yet come to that point. Jonah cried to the Lord, but why? He cried to the Lord because he no longer saw the face of God. As I said, Jonah's prayer was not a very good prayer. Do you know why? Because nowhere in this prayer do you find a confession of his sinfulness or his guilt. Compare that to David's prayer in Psalm 51. After he repented from his sin with Bathsheba. It was a total confession of his sin and his guilt before God. But when you read this prayer of Jonah. Then you will notice that there is no confession of sin. And indeed that is why Jonah still went reluctantly to Nineveh. Once he had been rescued from the belly of the fish. Which is clear from the chapters that follows. He had still not learned his lesson. Jonah had only come part way. His arrogance had turned to submission. And he realized that he could not escape the will of the Lord. That is the point he came to. And yet, in spite of it all, the Lord God nevertheless hears Jonah's prayer. We come to the third point. Just a little while ago we sang from Psalm 69. The first stanza of that psalm could have been written by Jonah. For it appears that David had a similar experience as Jonah. And indeed is that not true of all of us, of every believer? Have the waves of the sea not threatened to undo us as well at times? Have we not at times also felt as if we were drowning in our troubles? But the beautiful thing is that this psalm 
like most others, ends in a positive note. For where else can we go in times of trouble except to the Lord? And he gives salvation. He gives a way out. Jonah says, I will look again towards your holy temple. In other words, he wants to be there where he hears the voice of God. He wants to be there together with God's people. For there, in the belly of the fish, he already begins to feel the restoration in God's sight. And that's why Jonah could also state, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depth of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Brothers and sisters, have you ever experienced answered prayer? It's wonderful when that happens, isn't it? But when do you experience his answer? You can only experience it if you have given your life over totally to the Lord. And then your bones are no longer weary as the bones of David were. Then there's again a spring in your step. Joy is back in your life. Well, that's also what Jonah felt. In spite of his dire circumstances, for do not forget at this point, he does not even know yet whether he will escape from the belly of the fish. In spite of his predicament, he is joyful. You can read also the joy in this prayer. In spite of the fact that he does not realize fully his own sinfulness, he nevertheless knows that he is a child of God. And he knows that whatever will happen, will happen for his own good. He trusts in God again. He submits to him. Brothers and sisters, the only way you can experience the joy of answered prayer is when you also completely bear your soul. And when you know that God listens to you when you do that. That is the first step out of the doldrums of our miserable existence. There is someone who listens. And we know that God knows our hearts and he knows our thoughts. And he sympathizes with us like no other. And we are even richer than Jonah in that respect, aren't we? For we have our flesh in heaven. Jesus Christ, who also walked on this earth. Who also had to deal with many, many troubles. In a way that we cannot even begin to understand. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. The Father. And he listens to our prayers. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says about that. The author says in Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that wonderful? That is what the scriptures teach us. That is what the scriptures teach you, brothers and sisters. We all need someone who listens to us, who understands our troubles and our concerns. We all need to be with someone with whom we can drop our mask and our pretense and be able to show ourselves who, who we really are without being rejected. And once we find a person like that, 
healing is ready is already beginning to take place but we as people are poor listeners and we tend to be judgmental but there is one who is not and that is the Lord Jesus Christ he listens to our troubles and you can cry out your heart to him and he hears you And so let me ask you are you also willing to let him listen to you or is it hard for you to bear your soul Have you built up a wall around yourself? Jonah did that to a certain extent because he didn't see his own sins. Do you wear a mask because you don't want anybody to know the real you? Well, one thing is for sure. God knows you already. And he knows you a lot better than you know yourself. And with him you do not have to wear a mask. With him you do not have to pretend that you are somebody you are not. For he accepts you in spite of your sins. And you can go to him in prayer at any time. Do you know what else happens when you pour out your heart to the Lord? Now you come to the realization that you cannot save yourself. That only God can save you. And that brings us to our final point, namely God's salvation. Jonah wanted to go his own way. His plan of salvation did not match God's plan of salvation. He did not want the Lord to save the Ninevites. That's why he didn't go. And do you know why Jonah did not want them to be saved? He did not want that because he himself did not know what it was to be saved. At least not to the fullest extent. He thought that he could save himself. After all, though I not have a lot to offer God, he thought to himself, I do not belong to those heathen people. And I'm a prophet even. But Jonah has nothing to offer God. And that's the way it is for all of us. We may be a member of the church and diligently attend the church services. We may pride ourselves of having received the sign and the seal of the covenant. But that is no reason to boast. It is only a reason for thankfulness. If we boast, then let's boast in the Lord. For he alone saves. Jonah, in the end of the prayer, finally could cry out, Salvation comes from the Lord. What a wonderful confession. He said that even even when he was outside, even before he was outside of the belly of the fish. For he knew the same truth as Paul knew when he says in Romans 8 verse 24, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It is a total trust in the Lord that will bring us to our appointed destination in life and in death. It is a total trust, as Paul says further in verse 28, that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It may be this morning that there are those amongst us who are trying to save themselves. They are seeking solutions to their problems without considering God. Well, if that is the case, then the Lord will send you a fish. And he will put you inside the belly of the fish. And he will put you before a choice. In which he does time and again in our lives. 
Either turn to me with all your heart and your all your soul, or turn to the devil. Whatever that may be. Becoming angry and bitter, turning to alcohol, to wrong friends, to worldly pursuits, or whatever this world has to offer. But what is the right choice? Well, you know. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is the conclusion Jonah came to. And that is the conclusion you and I must come to as well. All the time. Amen.